0: So welcome to the Social World podcast. I'm Dave Niven and um, it's very good to have your company. Now, today I've got with me Bill McKittrick. And Bill's a social worker now working in supervision and leadership. He's been the director of social services for 10 years, including leading a workforce development and he's worked in programs to improve social work practice in local authority services Following critical inspections, and he's contributed through the British Association of Social Workers and the College of Social Work to the National Reform Programme. But more importantly for today, he's actually written another book, Self Leadership in Social Work Reflections from Practice, and it's published by Policy Press. Now, Bill, welcome to the programme. Good morning. Morning. Tell us just a little bit. Now, you've been down just about everything you could do in social work, both from sort of teaching and practising, leading, managing and actually observing, as well as actually working with all sorts of different groups and organisations for many years now. And I guess that this book that you've just published is a kind of a distillation of a lot of your thinking over these years. What led you to write it in the first place? What sort of things were occurred you that you thought, the world needs this book? Right.
1: The government invested heavily in the Social Work Reform Programme, with the Social Work Task Force and the Social Work Reform Board, but actually much of that has not been successful. And the root of this seems to me to be two things. First of all, we're not publicly clear enough about what we do as social workers. We don't... Um, state clearly what we do and we don't allow social workers to practice assertively and we've accumulated structures around social work which have made social work fairly passive and much of social work policy at the moment awaits civil service dictate I say it's civil service it's not ministers I don't think ministers get that much involved in social work policy I think they rely on their civil servants and the the quangos that are around social work and social care and I don't see social work well represented in that mm. So I wanted to encourage all social workers to be clear about what they're doing, to take control from the outset of their career, and not wait to be told what to do and to take the lead from themselves, both in how they practice with families and with colleagues, but also in how they lead social work policy overall.
0: Okay, now I know, because I know you're, you're, you're kind of a, a deep thinking man, that you're not talking about revolution here. But you are talking about challenge and taking control a lot more from the individual professional social worker point of view. Is that fair?
1: Yes, and I think each social worker has to do that rather than rely on organisations to do it for them or for the profession.
0: Okay. Now, therefore, I presume you're talking about people needing to express more confidence in uh, in their own selves and their own professional abilities and persons. I believe... Being an autonomous professional in a corporate culture, is that a fair description? Well, an increasing number of social workers don't
1: work for local authorities, so they're they're not necessarily working in a corporate culture. The culture they're often working in is one that's prescribed by procedures and process rather than being creative and promoting individual judgment. Um, I think that the word autonomous is a tricky one mm. because we want social workers to be accountable to the people they serve and to the regulators and to the general public in what they do but they certainly should be more accountable to those interests rather than to procedures that are written by quangos or civil servants.
0: Are there um, any near parallels there's nothing that's going to be the same but are there any near parallels in other professions that you think we could look to draw on
1: There are many professions in human services that are much more confident in what they contribute. Individual professionals often take greater personal responsibility for their continuing professional development and invest in it. And they also insist on the organisations that that claim to represent their profession, that they run them, they do the thinking, rather than wait to be told by those organisations what they should think. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they certainly don't wait for government edict or the latest fashion on how edu- social work education should be provided. I mean, we, we sit and wait for two government departments to do a big review of social work education. Nothing comes out of it. And everyone's waiting to see what the government wants to happen, rather than say, those are interesting reports. That's what we as social workers are going to do about it. You know, we've got so many social work education initiatives and changes in the air at the moment. And social workers and the institutions around social work, behave as if they're waiting to be told what to do rather than saying this is what we're going to
0: do that's a fair point Um, now you're looking you're suggesting that that we should be acknowledging and celebrating the the skills away from administration regulation and managerialism and there is a lack of leadership from the top and you actually use the word which is chilling in the book you actually say that would you like to expand on that a little bit
1: It's chilling in that we have two social work organisations at the moment in the country who haven't demonstrated a willingness or an interest in working together. It's the College of Social Work and the British Association of Social Work. The latter has chosen to retain within its main organisation a trade union function. And the College of Social Work has become totally dependent on state funding ...and what uncomfortably now is called corporate membership from employers. So both in their own way are um, compromised by those other interests... ...and both don't welcome and use the expertise of their members. And there is also, both within the behaviour of those organisations... ...and to a great extent in government to play down the social justice end of social work and where where, is the, where where are social workers campaigning on the impact of cuts in public services. Saying they shouldn't be necessary, but what's who's talking about the impact mm-hmm. on families that they work with? Who's talking about what it's doing for individual older people? We just get into more and more assessment for shrinking services both adults and children and families' social work. The number of assessments continues to rise even though the resources that people are being assessed for from social workers are reducing that's crazy but the only people who can solve that problem are social workers rather than waiting for another way of organizing hubs call handlers or whatever okay
0: right so okay we've got a fairly clear idea of the very outlined skeleton if you like mm-hmm. of what you think of the current setup and how social workers are how they function and so forth but what would your well, what would your definition be of good social work leadership? Let's put it that way. I know some of it you're quite rightly saying comes from within, and comes from the social workers themselves being more assertive and taking control of their own practice more. But in a general structural sense, what would you say would be um, good leadership?
1: I think at the moment the only way to exercise that leadership is within practice, by being clear about what we do, and whatever learned space we're using, and articulating at all times what we do and what special we bring to the table, I don't think social works in a place at the moment where we can expect any structural system to work. There's, because there's no existing organisation or structure that will is interested or I think capable of listening to that assertive practice.
0: Okay, interesting. Now you alluded in a minute ago there to. Um, essentially multidisciplinary working when you talked about hubs and so forth. Now, given the rise of multi-agency working and, you know, and multidisciplinary groups, MASH situations, hubs coming together, different disciplines sitting together, where does the social work leadership rest in that? Is it in the individual? Or, I mean, where would the social work whole, the whole social work kind of offering, do you think, be subsumed into a, a more of a kind of a, a group activity with different other disciplines?
1: I think in any multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary way of working, there is a sharing of knowledge and sharing of ways of working. So you, you end up with a phenomenon of people coming together and becoming more homogenous as a team and then separating out again and being clear of what they do with individual professions. Now, social work's worked in that sort of setting for the last hundred years. We had hospital social workers that were clear about their function. They didn't worry about their identity within psychiatric social work in hospitals or in hospital social work, um, general hospital social work, the old almoners. And certainly in child protection, it's been recognised since the death of Maria Colwell that multidisciplinary working is necessary. But that doesn't of itself stop the social worker being clear on what they're bringing. What does get in the way sometimes is to have generic titles in youth offending and in child and adolescent mental health and in mainstream adult mental health services, job titles that are generic and the occupation of the post holders may be across a a range of professions. And I think that gets in the way. But social workers have to say, I am a social worker. I may occupy occupy a generic title, but what I bring is my social work skills, my social work evidence base, my Mm -hmm. social work identity.
0: Let's talk about the current crop of social workers, all right? Just for a second, because I'm quite interested in that. If you, if we accept that, so you think that so much more has to be claimed and assessed by the individual to rebalance social work, then what I'd like to sort of ask you a little bit about is: Have we really got the workforce that's able to do that? Okay. Um, I know that you were in a fairly Well, a very good position, a privileged position, a unique position, when you led a team of um, assessors, you led a team of kind of advisors for the newly qualified social worker programme a few years ago that covered the entire country of England. And, And effectively, we got a lot of information from that about the quality of social workers coming through. And subsequent to that, you've done quite a bit of work and actually, you know, come across the new crop, if you like, of social workers being educated in the structure that exists at the moment. What, what's your assessment of the quality of social workers that are coming through and their ability to possibly put into practice what you're advocating? It's a
1: complicated situation, and it has changed over time to the good and for the bad. I mean, for example, in the 1970s, a majority of people who came into social work were already graduates. And then we had the new social work degree came in that said it should be an all graduate profession. Then we had the situation where the um, practice learning expectations within that new social work degree, although increased in the number of days, was actually decreased in the expectation of how much social work people did while they were students. So we we raised the academic bar again, but then we lowered the expectation of practice learning. And that was a problem of um, the civil service and, to some extent, employers, but employers weren't that bothered. Um, But certainly the civil service was worried about getting the numbers through social work education rather than the quality of the education provided. Um, It's also worth remembering, the social work degree became three years. In the 70s, it was four years for a social work degree. So a lot of the content of the curriculum went and Any discussion about should there be a national curriculum in social work education was poo-pooed for a number of quarters, although that would have helped at that time. I think we're also plagued with a proportion of people coming to social work who actually aren't that ambitious for the profession and do treat it as an administrative role and aren't prepared to invest in their own continual professional development. But I think there has been some improvement ...in the calibre of candidates for social education. I'm not talking just academically here... ...but just in terms of their enthusiasm... ...and their wish to think. But I think the wish to change things... ...is suppressed by the managerial culture within most employers... ...and the prescription of process. But having said all of that... ...I was talking to a GP only the other day. He's controlled in what he can do by the computer screen. You think you're going to see your GP to talk about... what? they think your problem is but he goes on a screen types in what's what you're saying and it tells him what he has to do and mm. certain things he can do or she can do for you that are allowed and some that aren't allowed so discretion is suppressed in other professions too but no one's saying that medicine is accepting that as suppressing their mm. expertise or their wish for knowledge
0: so yeah uh, so the ideal social work image if you like of this person who is um, intelligent sensitive caring empathetic and with an engine the size of a, of a small city in terms of their ability to be tireless and pursuing their work, um, there's, there's not exactly fully populated with that and the crop coming through, is that fair?
1: Some people don't behave like that because they don't think that would be welcomed. Some people haven't come into the profession expecting to go the extra mile in their own time at their own, and at their own cost. We've got a very um, um, negative culture, both amongst social work employers, but more importantly, amongst social work itself. If the government doesn't provide funding for continuing professional development, then it won't happen. Many other professions say, no, my continuing professional development is my own responsibility. I want to do it for myself, and I'll invest in it. And that's one of the reasons that, that supervision is neither delivered by registered social workers very well Or taken up by social workers. Because people don't, many social workers don't believe it's important enough and don't hold it in themselves. They expect to do it if they're told to do it, or funded to do it. They don't do it because they want to do it.
0: Let's take a little diversion from that, but just, just, just for a sec, because I've talked about what we think, or what you think, that the social worker... Um, coming through is the the newly qualifieds coming through or the people who are learning the students. What about the public image of social work and how this impacts on the profession itself and therefore the individuals themselves about how the world sees you? Um, I know when you were director of social services that you were, almost, you were in the vanguard, let's be honest about this, and uh, opening up things a little bit and you allowed the television cameras in to follow teams of child protection social workers around. And it was three one-hour programmes. It was a substantive commitment that you made and that your social workers made in order to allow the world to see just a little glimpse of what social workers do and hopefully demystify some of the work that we do. But that's happening still only in fits and starts since you moved on. And uh, I just wondered what you think the public image is now of social work and is it changing?
1: Many families have positive experience of, of social work services and will speak about it positively. Many have not. Um, I think the problem is ours. I don't think we can blame anybody else. There is a certain perverse enthusiasm within social work and what brings us into social work. Of accepting some criticism and some of that is deflected from our deflected from the individuals who've got the big problems we struggle with and we don't often solve. Um, but I think when we don't explain what we do, then we must accept that we are then castigated quite properly. So I think a lot of the bad publicity of social work is to do, is our fault. And It's the fault of those authorities who say after a child tragedy, for example, we can't comment on individual cases. Mm. What that local authority is actually saying to their social workers is, we'll let social work and you take the blame, because we're not going to bother to explain what's happened and why it's happened. You don't have to ever give, we can't talk about it, it's confidential. You can always explain around the circumstances and how it's a complex job and sometimes we get it wrong. We're also very bad at saying we have got it wrong and accepting responsibility. We say, oh, if only you knew how difficult it was we won't tell you about it, you'd know that we didn't do anything wrong. We do do things wrong, but we do things right much of the time. And one of the the, um, points I make in, in the book is I received far more letters of thanks and praise for social workers than criticisms.
0: But we don't hear that, do we? In the media, we, we don't hear that broadcast.
1: We say it's all too difficult and it's all too private, it's all too secret, it's all too und- undefined.
0: So we have, we have got employers that, I mean, I've been... People will know who listen to this podcast, I've been banging on about this for ages, but employers that, that confuse confidentiality with secrecy. Mm-hmm. And this idea of actually maintaining secrecy is... There's nothing that spurs on a good investigative journalist more than something that they think is secret. So, again, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that more attention gets drawn and more demands get made and people withdraw more and more in terms of their um, speaking to the media. But the media is the window in the world for 99% of the population in some form or another, whether it's broadcast, whether it's written or whether it's social media now. So I think the world's got to go more in a way that you opened the window a little bit on it. How, I mean, it's almost, wouldn't you say it's almost inevitable that we have to get more savvy as a profession? We have to be
1: more confident.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when a child abuse tragedy occurs or when things go wrong in the care and support for vulnerable adults, we need to explain what we're up against and what we're doing. And just to hope that the bad story will go away or hope the press office will deal with it, isn't the way forward. The press officer told me quite a number of years ago, what's news is what other people want to keep secret. So we can explain, and if our employers won't explain, then there's no reason why individual social workers shouldn't explain.
0: Well, people will be aware because I announced it. I mean, I'm part of a new initiative at the moment, and I've gone into a partnership with um, Compass, and endorsed now by the British Association of Social Workers, to try and uh, offer media training to frontline social workers to talk about good news, to talk about success stories, because the lack of balance is just almost embarrassing within the whole media landscape. But I mean, but generally, getting back to, if you like, the, the, the thrust of your own book, so much of that would also depend on... Um, arousing confidence within the social workers as well and allowing them to take charge of their own views, their own thoughts, their own professional thoughts. They don't have to. We're not suggesting in any way that they turn on their employers or anything like that because they have to be bound by employment contracts and so forth, but they can still talk about their work much more, I would have thought. Wouldn't you think that was a good thing?
1: Yes, and it's interesting what is expected of graduates... So if we have graduate social workers starting out, they're meant to be at the forefront of the knowledge and research in the subject they've taken their degree in. And even more so if they've um, got the qualification at master's level. And yet we don't treat social workers like that. And people don't come out of university thinking, I know a lot more, maybe than the person who's supervising me or the other people in my team. They start off as a rookie being treated like some sort of clerk to follow procedures. And certainly you're, you're right. There's nothing to stop a frontline social worker explaining the complexities of what we do and to explain our successes.
0: You don't have to name names to explain the work.
1: No. I mean, one of the um, fairly recent um, scandals that i take a continuing interest in is Winterbourne View Hospital, where social workers were involved in almost all the placements in that hospital, where those that were detained under the Mental Health Act, which the majority of people there, were seen regularly for their detention to be reviewed by social workers, and yet social workers somehow, and and social workers also investigated most of the allegations of abuse that didn't lead to an, an, an ordinary exposure through safeguarding procedures. We. We could have responded to Winterborne view by saying, we've got this wrong. The old subnormality hospitals almost always had a hospital social work, worker who maintained the links between families who may want their children to leave, their the grown-up children to leave or not. They certainly took an interest in their, their civil rights and they certainly would have been walking the wards and knowing what was going on. And we had that in the 1960s. We then collectively closed those big, some hospitals, and social work played a crucial role in that. That was one of, the, one of the successes, I think, the profession can claim. What we didn't do was to say, well, who's left? Who is still being detained mm. in small, now private hospitals? We didn't keep those cases open. The social workers didn't say, that this isn't the best person for this, where the, for this person to live. It's not what their family wants for them. They're having to be, they're having to be detained, so they don't want to be there themselves either we'll stick with these people, we'll work with them, we'll see if over time we can help them leave. We didn't do it, it was our failure. And what was the local authority response and the Department of Health civil servants response? We need to get better at commissioning. No, we need to get better at social work practice, at assertive social work practice and sticking with difficult cases.
0: Okay, interesting stuff. just like to take you back a little bit to this idea of the multi-agency side of it Mm -hmm. because the world is pushing so much in my view towards social workers becoming part of multi-agency working. Um, Yet on the other hand in the British Association of Social Workers who's got a record membership now good luck to them and I hope they continue to people continue to belong to it But at least two and a half, three thousand of these members now are individual practitioners or are, you know, uh, working alone um, and being commissioned for all sorts of different pieces of work. What would you say to them in terms of the self-leadership kind of um, issues and in terms of promoting themselves? Because each one of them virtually now runs their own business. Mm -hmm. And actually, so that they're actually living not the dream, but they're certainly living the expectation and some of them, I, I suspect some of them, are fulfilling what you hoped to be the image of social work. Would you say that's fair? Some will
1: be. Um, some will be doing lots of things that are not just social work but general social care as well. But the, the clarity of purpose, the clarity on what they know and what they bring to their work is, is critical. And they will almost all be working in some sort of interdisciplinary way. They will be working with other people within the commissioning local authority or within, if they're a singleton, within an organization that doesn't employ any other social workers. So the the challenge of working together with other professions is there for them. Some, I know, go into independent practice because they just cannot stand the managerialist culture within the local authority. And, and the lack of respect that comes with that. But they should be a model mm. for those social workers in more corporate organisations. Which is what I was
0: wondering if you thought, yes. Yeah, indeed, yeah. I mean, because these people are people that find it very difficult to work within the kind of local authority structure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, yeah, but paradoxically, they're now being hired back into local authorities in some cases. And also we have an absolute glut, if you like, of... Um, Um, people coming in as agency workers. And the agencies seem to me to be thriving. I wonder what you thought of that.
1: Well, deep breath. It's totally unnecessary for any employer to use agency social workers. We're actually training too many social workers in this country. There's an oversupply of social workers. There's an undersupply of good practice placements for people uh, at university, and that's the responsibility of the employers. But there's no reason whatsoever why any any agency social workers are required in, in England. We've got too many, some not trained well enough, I would encourage some of those to sue their universities if they didn't get them good practice placements, because they paid big fees, they have got a big debt and now they can't get a job because they're not well enough trained to do it. I think it's sloppy, lazy management and I think it's a lack of um, corporate support for both children's and adult social um, services to do good, smooth recruitment. And the fact that the Social Work Reform Board said recruitment and retention was a problem, and yet things are just as bad as they were, to me smacks of lack of energy, lack of management leadership in the, in the, the sense of make, planning for how many people you want to recruit.
0: I mean, there are some other things too, obviously, that are factors in it. I mean, for example, the, the image of child protection and the fact that, that um, a lot of people are turned off joining child protection teams or, or, or going down that particular discipline because of the the way that social workers have been treated in the media. I mean, I think that is a factor, wouldn't you say?
1: No. Nope. I think we, if social workers were given the, the con- continuing professional development and the support to do a job of social work, it it is a very challenging but rewarding area of work. But if you deploy social workers to sit in a call center, and when one of the big skills that social workers bring is their relationship-based working with, with parents and with children and young people, but actually put them in a call center where they don't actually meet people very often, or when, when they've done their initial investigation, mm. the work has actually got passed on for somebody else to do, then we make it an unattractive job and an unrewarding job.
0: No, I've got no problem agreeing with you on the what should be, but I'm just saying on the what is mm. at the moment, part of the reason that social workers are turned off is partly because of the image that's portrayed of, of them and the threats that are made towards them, but also the lack of support in, in, by employers in actually supporting them through these threats and reassuring them that essentially they could be much better.
1: But only we can change that in that practice setting. And some of those managers who design these extraordinary structures um, are social workers themselves and should see what they're doing for their
0: colleagues. Somebody that I think you agree with a lot in terms of practice is... um, Another guest of mine who's who's done one or two podcasts with us and will be coming up again hopefully soon, and that's Harry Ferguson. Now, Harry, I know deeply believes that social work has drifted away in a lot of cases um, from its core, and that um, social workers go out don't go out on visits either prepared for by their employers to talk with children and young people, or alternatively have lost the. Um, the, the, the skills to do so or the employers are not allowing them the time to do so is that, is that a fair point? I think
1: that's a factor but I think also within our social work training we have underplayed for quite a number of years the therapeutic responsibilities of social workers mm-hmm. and we've used, allowed wretched phrases like care management to be used and case management to be used which actually aren't about doing direct work. The assessing, arranging care by others and then reviewing a package of care is something that the person who bends my car does. Social workers aren't care managers or case managers, they're social workers. They use those processes, like everybody does in the work they do. But to downplay the therapeutic function and to deny the relationship base of all social effectiveness Research is to say, well, actually, we, we, we may have trained as a social worker, but we've not been trained very well, and we're not going to go and do social work in the job, even if it's called a social worker job.
0: Okay, Bill, a final question, all right, or a final opportunity for you to sort of sum up your book a little bit. Um, and at the end of it, I would appreciate if you would also give a bit of a message to any people out there who are thinking of entering the social work profession or who are into their training, but not yet fully fledged, as it were. So what would you say some of the key messages in just a minute or so, some of the key messages from your book, what you'd like people to see, what you'd like them to read and hear and think about, and then what message you'd give to the, the new social workers coming through?
1: It's a tough job. It's a very rewarding job. You need to invest in your own continuing professional development, and you need to take more control of your job. And... It's wrong for social workers to sit and wait what government says social education should be. There's University education is defined and it should equip social workers to be very knowledgeable and confident and challenging. That's what being a graduate is meant to give you. You then got to behave like that graduate and you've got to take responsibility for your own development, not wait until your employer says, You've also got to say, I'm entitled to supervision like many other professions are. And if I don't get it, I'm going to blow the whistle. And I'm not going to try and dodge supervision. And if I'm a social worker in a supervision, supervisory role or a manager, I know that really my registration should be at stake if I fail to deliver good supervision and ensure people have good continuing professional development. Their professional responsibilities that come from within yourself, not from structures.
0: Bill McKittrick, a pleasure talking to you. Now, your book, Self-Leadership and Social Work Reflections from Practice, published by Policy Press. I'll put the details in on the text of this podcast so that people can actually uh, look it up, buy it, hopefully, and actually come back. And please, everybody, please come back to me on SpeakPipe if you've got comments about Bill's interview. My thanks, as always, to um, all the digital media for the technical support on this podcast. You can download it from iTunes or from Spreaker or from PodFeed. Um, Stick with it. We've got plenty more interviews coming in the next event and the next sort of uh, podcasts. But for now, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.